kick is blocked. Appalachian State has stunned the college football world. One of the greatest upsets in sports history. Swinging. There's a drive into left center field. That ball is going to be out of here. It's gone. It's 7-15. There's a new home run champion of all time, and it's Henry Aaron. Wittenberg. Oh, it's a long way. The Cardiac Kids, North Carolina State, has captured their second NCAA championship. The countdown going on right now. Morrow up to Schultz. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! The great games of history and the voices who made them come alive. This is Behind the Mic with Doug Rice. Thanks so much for joining us on another episode of PRN's Behind the Mic. Today's special guest, the play-by-play voice for the Baltimore Orioles, Melanie Newman. Rutschman to left, backs up Tapia at the bullpen. Are you kidding? Goodbye. It's a chorus of boos, but for Adley Rutschman, his 11th home run of the season, and he takes the lead for the O's 2-1. to one. So, Melanie, thank you for making time for us. It's always nice when you get to call a dinger, isn't it? That's the best, right? I think that's the moment we all live for, as long as it's it's for the team you're actually calling for. And we're going to talk a little bit about your journey today from the Mobile Bay Bears junior high to where you are now in the big leagues. But you you've made this. I feel like in record time, you're still a very young person and you're working You're working in the show. That's got to give you a great deal of, uh, I, I would say, confidence moving forward. There's so much more to achieve. You know, it, it does to a degree, but it also doesn't feel like it was that fast necessarily. I mean, this is something I got invested in working around ball fields when I was in high school, uh, putting in the work when I was 14, 15 years old. Um, college, you know, I, I didn't really have a huge social life. I was out working for the athletics department, calling games, um, doing anything I could to be involved. And then of course, got into minor league baseball in the, uh, 2014 season after independent ball and really worked through there for the next six years, um, around the clock from spring training through fall league. So that's, you know, the beginning of February, right up until Thanksgiving. And, uh, I'm very blessed that the work that I've put in has gotten me to this place because I understand it's not a place that everybody gets and that's players and broadcasters alike. Um, but I'm also confident in the fact that because of the route that I took, that's why I can have such an in-touch perspective of the game because I came up with a lot of the guys that are in the big leagues now. And Melanie, if I read this right, you weren't thinking broadcasting. Some Some people sort of steered you away from maybe – writing about the game to talking about the game. Is that the case? Yeah. um, Growing up, I was a super shy kid. And so writing just kind of naturally catered more to what I wanted to do, Um, you know, when I was trying to figure out the path for me. And I had an advisor in college. It's two completely separate majors at Troy University between broadcasting and writing. And they said, I really think you need to give this a shot instead um so i trusted them you know they've been in the game longer they know what they're talking about and i'm very lucky that i listened to them well as an app state grad it's nice to see a fellow sunbelter uh doing well by the way so 
Listen, I almost went to App State because we grew up spending summers in Blowing Rock. So I, I am all but a fan of the Mountaineers. Oh, that's fantastic. They had a heck of a game this year with your uh, with your team from Troy, right? At, at On national t- – well, that was – the ESPN had their game day, and then Troy played in Boone this past year, and we won on some kind of miracle. It was the only miracle App had this year. Uh, in reading about you, apparently – your big sports influence in your life was your dad, Mike, taking you to football games and bas- baseball games, and that that sort of instilled your your passion for sports. Is that the case? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, you could ask anybody. Our dad was such a big influence on us, and um, I, I think there's two different ways that he really helped combine that for me, and one was obviously the fact, like you just said, um, we grew up going to sporting events. That was how we spent our quality time together as a family with my sister, my dad, and my mom. Um, we were lucky, you know, we're in the backyard of the SEC. We've got the tracks here. We had the Olympics. So there's year round entertainment, but it was also the way that he always cared about people. Um, and really his heart that started shaping the fact that I wanted to make sure as I covered sports and the more I got into it, that that was also my focus was actually humanizing this element that we tend to just put up on a pedestal of, you know, X's and O's and numbers. You have a big passion for this, don't you? I've always found in talking to a slew of broadcasters that that's the number one thing that passion and wanting to do this beats out talent sometimes. You know, I think it does because especially in this industry, when you're not working for a lot of money, it's late hours, it's seven days a week. You're usually going to cities you've never heard of before. Um, you know, you can have the work ethic, but I I think at the end of the day, if you don't have that passion, you're going to burn out of working, you know, multiple jobs to pay the bills and accepting the free gigs sometimes and and bouncing around everywhere. Um, and there's a lot of days of, you know, why me, or why am I putting myself through this? And it's a game of survival. And if you keep showing up the next day, there's, you know, hundreds of other people who have stopped. Um, so it's just, you outlast everybody else to get where you are. A little bit like the game of Survivor on CBS. Uh, You've done the Mobile Bay Bears. You did the Salem Red Sox. Did you find working minor league baseball where you have to do more work than you do? I'm assuming when you step into the booth for the Orioles in the sense that they have a research department. If you're working for the Mobile Bay Bears, I think they're now defunct. You have to do your own research. They are, they are defunct. Um, the Rocket City Trash Pandas are what became of them, actually, which is just one of the best names, in my opinion, in the game. But, um, yeah, you're, you're doing a lot of your own work, and a lot of the time it's not even regarding preparation for the broadcast because you're also a member of the TARP crew, and you're on the sales team trying to get tickets for that night. You're organizing graphics and social media. Um, so the, the preparation for the broadcast really comes in putting the game notes together for the rest of the local media to use, or, you know, when you talk to the guys to get a pregame soundbite uh, to roll out on the airwaves. But other than that, it's just making sure that you're multitasking to the best of your ability. And that when you're there, you're really integrating yourself in it because that's, what's going to give you those pieces that you can bring out on air. Cause we, we just don't have time to specifically allocate going out there and, and putting in that type of work. So i I have two folks that are helping produce this podcast, Kent Bernhardt and David Stiles, and they both just came in my ear when I mentioned uh, about the Salem Red Sox. It, were you doing the game where the skunk got on the field? <laughs> so what's interesting is um, in the Southern League, I had a game where a possum got on the field. In the Texas League, we had a game where a snake 
was in the outfield. And yes, in Salem, we had a skunk get on the field. Uh, and ultimately our, our grounds crew, uh, Joey Elmore and his brave guys got out there to get it because no one wanted to go near it. But we, we've had our share of run-ins. That's always a fun thing, though. The minor leagues have a lot of character. Is that a fair word? Absolutely. I think it's it's the most intimate, character-giving setting you can ask for from a sport. Um, and that's one of the biggest elements that I really do miss about being in the minor leagues is, is just how, how raw and real and connected you can get with something. I think that's why a lot of people fall in love with the game. Are you back for the regular season games at the ballpark for all the games home and away now? We are. Um, this is the first year that we will get to travel in full, which is the most exciting news that I think we've gotten all off season. So I'll be balancing the Orioles this year between TV and radio, uh, as well as assignments for MLB networks. We've got some fun stuff coming up with them. So I talked to some of the women in our sport that I really admire a lot. Wendy Venturini that works for us. She's anchored some of our race broadcast and Danielle Trotta and, uh, also, uh, Holly Kane, who's one of the best-known writers, and I interviewed Melanie, and they all they all send their love, by the way. They all are very much aware of you. And we talked a little bit about the fact that NASCAR, for a great deal of time, and IndyCar, had Danica Patrick racing here, and she created quite a stir, and Danica and I became pretty good friends over time. And she always said, I just want to be known as a race car driver. And she goes, I know being a female gives me an advantage in some ways where are you with that thought process because you're in a very small fraternity of four women that broadcast major league baseball so how do you process that melanie you know i i think there's two sides to it because i i've always agreed with that sentiment you know i just want to be a broadcaster and i hope that the next women that get hired in these full-time capacities um, are also just known as broadcasters i know danny wexelman is calling a lot of college games for espn right now um, in the baseball community. And of course we have a lot of women in the minor leagues that are killing it as well. But um, on that, on the other side of that token, I also recognize that representation matters. And I think when you work for people who can carefully walk the line of making sure that they are showing that representation without um, for lack of a better word, using it more of a, in a stunt, you know, a fluffy PR move, we've seen it before. But if you add integrity to it, that's what brings out that recognition. And that's what helps grow your fan base when you have that. Because growing up, that's probably why I never thought of being in a role like this, just because that wasn't really in front of me. Um, you know, Aaron Andrews was coming onto the scene, hosting college game day and doing her sideline reports. But uh, that was really it at the time in, in terms of that exposure. And I think we're really lucky now that we have brought so much attention to it. But I think at the same time, the women who are doing this, we know it's time to get back to work and, and we know how to carry the line. It seems like just in covering sports nationally now, there and obviously I'm a lot older than you, there was a novelty effect to female reporters at one point. And we're so far past that now. I can watch a sports center and practically every face and voice I see is female. And on cue, we yeah. get the Fox Sports theme there. Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> No, it's just, it is, it is crazy to see it. And I think the, the cool thing about it too, is it's not even just women. I mean, it's uh, minorities from all walks of life. And, and I think we're getting back to, we became such a polarized country for, for several years there. And I think adding that representation 
from everybody. I know Juan Tarabio has been talking about, you know, his ability to cover the World Baseball Classic right now. And he never thought that was something he would be able to do. But that's a huge representation for the Latin American community. Um, and I'm hoping that it's these kind of moves that can bring us together and, and really bring us back to the fact that sports is what we've always all been able to have in common. You know, we can lay a whole bunch of stuff aside because we, we can agree on, on what's it, on the field or the track in front of us. Uh, you work with Pedro Gomez, don't you? Good bit. Or did? I, I did, yes. Yeah. So I actually had the pleasure of meeting Pedro because his son, Rio Gomez, who just pitched for Team Columbia, was a part of the Salem Red Sox. And I still remember the first time I saw him in the stands and I, I couldn't believe it um, just because it was this larger than life personality, but he was also a dad. And I, I think those are some of the most cherished moments I have of the minor leagues are getting to sit next to him in the bleachers and watch the way he would operate uh, between watching his son, keeping his wife, Sandy abreast of what was going on, calling Tori Lovello at the time, because his son, Nick was also on the same team. And then, you know, finally wrangling him into the booth a few times and, um, working together at winter meetings, but just one of the most surreal people as a person or professional that you could ever meet in your life. And um, I'm hoping a lot of people have taken the time to read the book that was written in his honor and just take away a bit of how he approached um, just, just being in the space, really. So living where I do here in North Carolina, most folks here, as you well know, are Braves fans. And watch a lot of post game and they have their interpreter has become famous in his own right. Do you have any working Spanish? Because I know for so many of the ball players that come from the Dominican or Venezuela or something, uh, a lot of them do not speak English. Yeah. For, and first of all, Atlanta has one of the best in the game. Um, I was fortunate enough to work with them running statistics and a few other things. And, and just the the kindest, best you could ever find out there. My Spanish is a work in progress. I was fluent at one point in time, um, and I gave it up in college. And so it's been it's probably been about a two year process now of trying to build back into that. But it's a lot harder when you're in your 30s to do that, especially to find the time right now uh, to put aside for for having lessons. But when you have it right there on your phone, you know you really don't have an excuse. And I think it matters when the guys feel like they can be represented and that they can actually have a conversation and not be misunderstood or, you know, um, mistranslated. They know that they have that bridge to you. And it also shows that, you know, you respect what they've been trying to do, coming to a completely different place and, and trying to make a new life for not just themselves, but their families. I would feel like we missed out if we didn't touch on this story. Uh, CBS, their Sunday morning show, did a really nice feature. We won't play the whole thing. But uh, if we could could roll that little snippet, please. She announces for her local junior varsity team and practices big league broadcasting from her living room. Look at his blocking skills. But she didn't know girls could do this as a career until she listened to a Baltimore Orioles game. But now there's two outs. And I thought, I can do that too. That is possible. Ellie's proof possible is play-by-play -play announcer Melanie Newman. How we doing? Ellie was so taken by her that last year she reached out to Melanie in the only way she knew how. Her sign read, hey Melanie Newman, need help in the booth? There's Mel. And the answer was yes. This seemed to make a big impression on you. I've watched that a couple of times. It's a really nice piece that CBS did on you, identifying a young lady in the stands and bringing her up into the booth. By, by the way, kudos for doing that. Really nice. It, you know, it, 
I wish I could have her in the booth all the time. Ellie is one of the most amazing. I, I wish I had half of her confidence when I was her age. Um, but I'll never forget one of our ushers uh, told me before the game, you know, hey, there's a little girl down here with a sign. Um, and we tried to find her pregame. We couldn't find her. And she was upset because the other half of her sign was for Trey Mancini and he wasn't in the lineup that day. Um, so I really wanted to make sure she could at least get half of her sign because someone else had told her that I wasn't there that day. And we waited until after the game. We had PR looking for her. And it was actually my future mother-in-law that tracked her down. Uh, they were at the game that night and got to have a chat while we finally caught up to them. And, and since then, just keeping up with everything that she's been doing is remarkable. And, and that goes back to the fact of, you know, that's why representation matters right there. She didn't know she could do it until she saw someone else doing it. And I hope that one day, regardless of the profession, you know, or if it's, if it's little boys or little girls who think that they can't do something, we can take care of that and, and get rid of that because gender, race, I mean, any of it, you think about it at the end of the day, it should not have a place in deeming if somebody is qualified for a job. I mean, we've seen that proved wrong time and time again, but Ellie is just absolutely wonderful. Uh, it was a great story. It's a very nice human thing to do. I understand you have a proclivity for donuts and coffee. <laughs> you don't look like it, but every I see all these pictures of you in the broadcast booth, and there's always like a donut with sprinkles on top there. So I, I will say this. Um, that's the reason I have to work out a lot, because the, those do catch up. My sister got to skip that gene. It did not skip me. Um, we limit the donuts, though, to Sundays. That's kind of a tradition in the broadcast booth in Baltimore is we rotate who brings in donuts. But um, it's safe to say I do not limit the coffee. It's probably unhealthy at this point. Um, I think I've gotten to know every local place around here. And then, of course, our usual haunts. But um, I just I don't I've never understood people, especially in baseball, when it's 162 days straight. Um, that say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm really not a coffee drinker. Like I just, I would just prefer to have water because it, it just, it, it'll kill me if I don't have it. I, I'm right there with you. I, it, it, four or five cups of race. And exactly. our races go for a long time, as you know. And you know about the nighttime coffee. So it's perfect. I, I, it doesn't. And, and I can drink coffee right up till bed and go exactly. to sleep. It doesn't bother me. <laughs> uh, I guess I'm immune to it by now. In your, in your broadcasting, when you're calling a game, do you ever struggle between, okay, I'm painting this mental picture. I want this person driving down the highway to know what this looks like, feels like, versus I really want the Orioles to win. Is there ever a fandom versus I'm giving information struggle? I don't think so in that regard, just because it's it's one of those things you can still bring out your want for the team to win um, in the emotion that you're showing in the call without actually starting to talk about it and, and show more of a Homer side. Um, you know, I think to a degree you want to have a little bit of the Homer touch, but not over the top, not this unswerving bias. And I've called national games that the Orioles have been in before where you do have to be pretty much down the middle. And I remember thinking going into those games that it would be pretty tough to split that. Um, and it turned out to actually be pretty okay because you just, at the end of the day, you want a good game. You know, you want something exciting that keeps the fans in until the 27th out. And I, I think as long as you keep that in the back of your head and you want everybody to come out, you know, with clean plays and stuff, um, it's pretty easy from there. But then you get the moments, too, when they're scoring. We talked about the big home runs. Um, that's where you get to punch up the, the emotion a little bit and just let fans know, 
you know, how much you would love to see them win it. And we've had plenty of between, you know, inning off air discussions about, you know, man, I hope they pull it off here. You know, I really need this to happen. And of course, the disappointment once we're off air at the end, if it's a loss of you know, I thought they had it or I wish they could have pulled that one out. But um, I, I think you can navigate it pretty well. Where is baseball now in the national landscape? And as we're recording this, I think we're headed to the finals of the of the World Baseball Championships also. Where do you see the World Baseball Classic? Where is baseball now in the American conscious? I think it's moving to the forefront again. Um, you know, I think for a while there, it just had such a, a time reimagining its identity. And then that also, when you change it like that, can alienate fans who didn't want to see it change at all. But um, that's the beauty of having a really good world baseball classic is you get to see the passion that these other countries do in fact have for the sport. It's, it's by no means not even close to being a dead sport, but it, it kind of re-energizes you. You know, if you see Mexico and Colombia and Venezuela uh, being loud and, and bringing all of these instruments and they've got the hats and the flags, it's like, why, why not us? Why shouldn't we have that much pride in the game? And, and I don't think that energy level is sustainable for again, full 162. But I think that's where you start to see it come out in the special moments, or if fans haven't seen a certain team with a star player in a long time, and it's their first time coming into town as you get into the postseason, uh, it definitely feels like it's starting to have its resurgence again. And it's really exciting. I bet it is. But Melon, there's a saying around the NASCAR racing world that there are two things that race fans dislike, and you touched on it, change and the way things are. <laughs> I think you could just say baseball and probably apply that uh, equally as well. Have you have you developed a signature Melanie Newman thing yet, or is that or is that just one day going to happen and you'll go? That's it. That's that's my bow that I'm putting on things. I mean, the only thing I could say is that that might happen naturally at some point. Um, it hasn't really been a focus of mine. I've had a lot of people tell me that. I should have a home run call and that's probably where I step in and disagree with it because not all home runs are the same. And it just, to me, loses a little bit of the moment. You know, if you're calling a game seven walk off home run with the exact same call that you have when it's the second run and you're down 14 to two in the eighth inning, you know, it's just not, it's not the same. And I don't think they're meant to be created the same. Um, so we'll see if that pops up down the road, if there's something in particular that fans really cling to. But for now, we're just trying to keep the plays clean and and make sure that the mechanics are right and uh, de deliver an accurate game to the fans. All right. I saw on your Twitter signature that you have uh, Psalm 46.5. God is with her. She will not fail. God will help her at the break of day. Nice, nice, nice touch to that. I was, I was really moved by that. And I can tell that you... You have succeeded uh, probably against some headwinds, but I do think that in not too many years down the road that the discussion with a Melanie Newman or other people coming along is not going to be gender-based. I really think it's all going to be about talent because I feel like that playing field has, has leveled a great degree in the last 10 years, I would think. It does feel that way. And, um, you know, I'm fortunate that I have so many male mentors in my life. I mean, that's the bulk of who have influenced me have been some really great men. And it's a discussion we have a lot too, is listen, like, I want to make sure that the longevity of my career extends past 
when, you know, all of the glitter of, you know, the first female, this and that starts to fade. I want to have something that's actually built on integrity here. And um, we've been working in the off season and, and doing some things here and there to make sure that I do improve upon that. But it's certainly starting to look like I've noticed a few times now where we've had women involved in roles that we've never had before. Um, and we have not seen that same publicity. You know, there's, there's the due credit of this is who's calling our game today. And, you know, we're elated to have her or X, Y, and Z, but um, it's just becoming more commonplace, which is what I think we all want at the end of the day. All right. I said, I wouldn't ask about the team, but I will, I'll close out with this. Uh, yep. How, how, how good, how good are the Orioles going to be? You guys made a, a huge leap forward last year. That's tough. That is tough to make an unexpected leap like that and somehow build upon that even more this year. But there's some young guys and they're young enough to not really realize yet that the AL East should be hard. Um, I think that's a huge key for success for them right there. But then you add all of them in Gunner, Kyle, Adley, uh, Grayson, the whole crew. And it's really hard to argue against them now. Toronto is going to be the biggest one, in my opinion that they go up against in the East. And after that, we'll see since you get to play everybody this year with the new calendar changes. Um, but I'm, I'm hoping fingers crossed that there is a ticket punched, whether that's a wild card or otherwise, but that it's the first time since 16 that the, uh, the baby birds get to leave the way to the postseason this time. That would be thrilling. I did have one other note here. You're originally from Woodstock, Georgia. Is that right? Yes. All right. Yes, sir. I actually broadcast races at the Woodstock Dirt Track many, many years ago, probably. <laughs> so you'll you will laugh, um, but that track is owned by the Swims family, and I grew up with Brianna Swims being one of my absolute best friends, and I can hear that track from my backyard. And we spent way too many nights uh, in the pace car and down there in the dirt, and it, it's some of the best memories of my life. Oh, I like you even better now, Melanie. All right. <laughs> hey, this has been a lot of fun. I have a great 2023 season. Best of luck to you. Thanks for your time. I know you're in the middle of a move. You're moving to Baltimore, so for you to cut out a half hour for us, we're really appreciative. No, nah, we're happy to do it. Look, it's always a good time.